Hello friends, your host Billy Dean Shoemate III here and welcome back to a brand new episode of Strange Places. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor and DistroKid. So, where are we going this week? Let's just get right into it because boy, <laughs> do I have a story to tell. We're going to my hometown, so I'm not going far. You might be, but I'm not going far. We're going to Paducah, Kentucky. This is where I currently live. See, I'm originally from San Diego, California, uh, Chula Vista area. And I moved to Iowa when I was 13 years old. Don't ask. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that, that's a podcast in itself. But uh, needless to say, culture shock aside, I lived in Iowa for nine years. Ended up making some terrific friends there. Loved it there. I, I miss it. And it's really the place. I know that home, you know, it's like the old saying, or the saying that I use anyway. Home is where you store your socks. But Iowa, I consider more of a home than San Diego. Because that's where, you know, I really started to develop a, a life there. And friendships and relationships. And that's the place where, you know, I matured and grew up. Now, I, so I consider Iowa more my home than any place. Anyway, um, it's also another podcast in itself as to why I ended up in Paducah, Kentucky. <laughs> but I, I ended up there. I ended up here. Moved here in April of 2006. This episode of Strange Places is going to be a little bit more loose than what we're normally used to, because I didn't have to do a lot of crazy studying. There was really nothing to study, and this is all coming from my personal life and the lives of people who live around this area. Even for people who live around this area, it's not a crazy well-known thing. But it's definitely something that I find very interesting, very strange, and something that I have experience with. Based on the title here, it, it, this, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a supposedly cursed item, a medieval loot. If you don't know what a loot is, Look it up. It's kind of the precursor to the guitar, really. But um, anyway, the earth sound loot. The reason why the episode is called that is because, well, if you know anything about me, I'm a musician. I've been a musician since I was about 14. Professional, so, you know, since I was in my early 20s. I started a band when I was in Iowa, fresh out of high school, called Salvaged, and we kind of ruled you know, Southern Iowa for the early 2000s. And, you know, we still do stuff together. I do my own solo work, my solo albums. Check out all my stuff on Asylum817.com. Yes, I'm going to put a plug in there. I have no shame. So, <laughs> I've recorded multiple albums myself and, you know, albums with uh, me and the guys, Salvaged. We've been together since 2002. And when I moved here, I had left the band. We just kind of, you know, we we grew apart. We grew up our artistic, you know, uh, what what am I looking for? <laughs> How do I put this? Because <clears throat> we're still amicable with each other. We still get along. But we were moving in different directions artistically and personally. So, you know, I had, I had ended up leaving the band. And I was in a band called Cause of Effect for a while. I'm a drummer, by the way. And things with cause of effect kind of fizzled out as relationships do. And I use the term relationship because that's the closest thing that, you know, a marriage really, 
is the closest thing that I could use to compare what it's like being in a band. You're more than friends. You're more than brothers. You, you know, <laughs> write music together. So you're sharing the most intimate parts of your thoughts in your life. And you do everything, you know, with each other. And after Cause of Effect, you know, I end up moving here to Paducah, Kentucky in 06. So I get a call from our lead guitar player. This was around, wait, I'm going to, I know I'm going to say this wrong, but 2008-ish. Hey, I want you to uh, play the drums on our new album. You know, what do you think about that? I had a new baby. I had just gotten married. So yeah, this was, okay, now that <laughs> I'm talking about it, this was probably around 2007, early 2008. So I had my first child at the time, just a baby. I had just gotten married. Things were, you know, kind of hectic. And like any young married couple, me and my ex-wife, we were paycheck to paycheck. You know, it, it was hard to <laughs> survive. It was it was a struggle. It took every penny that I had to go to Iowa and pick up my drum set, you know. But... I said, okay, I don't know if there's any recording studios around this area. So they did some research, and uh, lo and behold, there was there is a recording studio in this area called Earth Sound Studio. And it's a, my band hooked me up with this studio. The owner of the studio, Dan, terrific guy. One of those old metalheads, you know, just super cool dude. <laughs> and uh, they, Salvage took me up with this studio, and I was going to record the drum tracks there. I need to, my writer brain needs to come out when I tell you about this place. It's a basement studio. It's, you know, not some huge mega complex, you know, like one-on-one -on -one recording studio. Whatever you think of as a recording studio, you need to toss that out the window, especially even if you've been in one. This is a basement recording studio built into the guy's house, which is normally not a, you know, most recording studios are built in basements. As long as it's sound treated and done properly, you could build a recording studio anywhere. And yes, I mean anywhere. I'm recording this out of my bedroom. But I had worked in recording studios ever since I was a, a little kid. While well, most kids were talking about the new Ninja Turtles episode and the new Nintendo game coming out. Yeah, I partook in that stuff, but I spent my time around musicians, recording studios. My grandfather used to manage local bands and stuff. He was really into that scene. So I knew my way around a mixing desk. I knew my way around a recording studio. Drums, I was still learning. <laughs> I've been playing drums now for 25 years, and I'm still learning. You never stop. Needless to say, um, <laughs> see, I'm from the era where you still had to go to a recording studio to make an album. It's really not the case anymore. Technology has gotten so, and it's gotten cheap enough to where you can produce some amazing results at home. I hate to say it because I have a lot of friends in this industry, but the days of the recording studio are over. It's, um, yeah, the, the way technology is now and what you could do at home is just render the recording studio obsolete. I'm not a fan of his, but Post Malone records his vocals out of his hotel rooms, puts a couple of mattresses up on the wall. I'm dead serious. Records his, his vocals while he's on tour in hotels. And he's not the only artist to do that. Technology has just gotten so... But I still recommend that every artist, every band do the recording studio experience. <laughs> you learn a lot from it. And I think every band should do it at least once. But, you know, me being growing up in the 90s, not hitting my musical 
uh, <laughs> musical interest until the early 2000s. I'm from, I'm really the last musician of the era that still had to go to rec- a recording studio. Back in 2007, it, that was still the case. And uh, technology still wasn't there yet. And if it was, it was extremely expensive. So <laughs> I need to walk you through what this place is like. It's still there. Paducah, Kentucky. I think it's still in operation, I'm pretty sure. But it looks like it looks like a, a cross between Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum and what the Warren's basement would look like. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's obviously a recording studio. There's a mixing desk, there's a bathroom, there's a coffee machine, there's a piano in this room, there's an isolation booth, guitar cabinets everywhere, instruments hanging everywhere. But I saw these just bizarre things. A human skull in a glass case. And I remember going up to Dan, who I liked immediately. I remember going up to Dan and saying, who is this? And then he looked at me like, why are you talking about my decorations? You know, it's a human skull. I said, what's his name? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I know he's from the Middle East somewhere. I was like, how'd you get it? I don't remember his story exactly, but it was kind of sketchy, <laughs> to be honest. But I was, he, he, I think he gained some respect for me because instead of saying, oh, dude, a skull far out, you know, I was asking, who is this? What was his name? You know, and I think he just liked the way my brain worked, you know. He had a Ludwig Vista light drum set, which is, if you don't know, it's the same drum kit that John Bonham from Led Zeppelin played and recorded on. They're just legendary drum sets. He had fantastic gear, amazing stuff, but it was like a, it was a bizarre just museum, and I'm not exaggerating here. He had this, I didn't even know what it was at the time until I started watching YouTube and researching what the hell this thing was. It's an electroshock therapy mask (laughs) that they used to use. I think he got it from Waverly, which is also here in Kentucky, where they would administer electroshock therapy through this mask they would put on your face. And it was this plastic mask or it was like a hard resin, not plastic. And it had these silver electrodes on the business end. Bizarre things like that. There were, he brought out two little microphones that had swastikas on them. And he said, I'm going to use these as your overhead mics. And I was like, are these real? Like, are these legit? Are these Nazi microphones? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, I have uh, photographs of Adolf Hitler doing one of his speeches using these exact microphones. I was like, man, where do you get this stuff? You know, he kind of just laughed and shrugged it off and said, well, you know, if you're a collector, you uh, just like someone in the music industry like you, you build your connections and, you know, there's a connection of collectors out there. And I get my hands on some weird stuff. If you're looking for it, you can find it. Consequently, those overheads, it's funny, those two microphones were built by a company at the time that eventually became Sennheiser. Yes, they built (laughs) microphones for Nazi Germany, and they were the most amazing sounding mics I've ever heard. Overhead, you know, like room mics for a drum set. Needless to say, we did not tell the rest of the band that we used those. (laughs) But it was a, it was a weird place, and I was kind of sketchy about recording there. As nice as Dan was and his engineer Zach, because I was thinking, man, there's a lot of stuff on the walls to rattle around while you're recording. So I wanted to see the isolation booth, 
dead silent in there. I mean, it was not just sound treated. It was soundproof. Someone could get killed in that room and you won't hear it. It was just, it was treated correctly. It was built right. And the more time I spent in there, the more I would notice just these bizarre things. And the more I would get to know Dan, the more I got to know that this guy just has, you know, kind of a cheeky, just really unique personality. And he's into historical things that normally people would just overlook and want nothing to do with. I found broken watches that were owned by people, famous people, but people along the lines of the you know ones that he had the mics <laughs> were built for, things owned by Alistair Crowley. I mean, just bizarre stuff. Fascinating though, fascinating. Because like I said, this these were things that history has wanted to ignore, you know. But it's still a a major part of history. These are things that people normally would not collect. Needless to say, he you know <laughs> he played me demos that he'd record in the studio, and he knew his stuff. He's a great engineer. But now we get into the meat of it. Out of all the, because I I had to set this up. I'm sorry, <laughs> just so you know that. A real medieval era loot hanging on the wall. When I mention that, it won't be as shocking and bizarre to you. Because now, if I said you the backstory of Earth Sound Studio and just what walking into that place was like and the personality of the guy that owned it, now it doesn't sound all that crazy. <laughs> but yeah, there's this medieval loot hanging on the wall. It's attached to like this, it looked like a homemade plaque, but I didn't know what this thing was. I'd never even seen a loot in person. It looked old, yeah, but I didn't think it was that fucking old. So I go in for my my first recording session and he's talking about what studio engineers normally talk about. Okay, this is how we're going to set up. This is the drum set you'll play, and um, these are the mics we're going to use. And we're just going through what he's going to do, you know, as far as recording. I give him the tracks that we're working on. He listens to them overnight. You know, that night he'll get everything set up and the drums set up and the mic set up and all that. Just another little segue here. Stu <laughs> Billy School of Production 101, okay? When you set up, when you're miking an acoustic drum set, when you're recording an acoustic drum set, when you have those mics set up, you do not touch them. <laughs> Don't breathe on them. Don't whack them with a stick. Do not move them because it takes hours to dial in that drum sound. Without getting too technical here, the reason why drum mics are kind of a pain in the ass to dial in and get right is because... They're microphones. It's not just one thing going into a microphone. You have the snare bleeding into the hi-hat. You have the hi-hat bleeding into the crash. You have the toms bleeding into the bass drum mic. You have the crashes bleeding into everything. And then you have the overhead mics bleeding into everything else. It's a cohesive sound made by a bunch of different microphones. And you got to make sure phases are correct. You got to make sure that, I mean... For some, drum sets are just really picky when it comes to microphones. You could bump a snare mic and change the snare sound for the entire album, and I promise you it will take hours to get that same exact sound back. I've been in studios in some cases where someone tripped over a freaking mic cable, and we had to end up starting the drums from scratch because the snare would have two completely different 
<laughs> sounds on the record. Nowadays, you could probably just record the snare and use that as a sample, but back then, couldn't do that. So I see this lute hanging on the wall. And as he's talking to me, I reach my hand up. Ah, that's cool. And I strum the strings. And he kind of smiles. And I was like, what? Sorry, man. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just, I couldn't help myself. I had to touch the strings. He goes, no, lots of people do it. Then he proceeds to tell me what this thing is. He goes, this is a uh, lute from the, really, from the Dark Ages, from the Middle Ages. And he showed me certificates of authenticity for a lot of this stuff. And he didn't really have to because you walk into a place with real human skulls. Chances are this guy really has what he says he has. So he said, this is owned by, I don't know exactly who, just one of those wandering minstrels, you know, that went from place to place and festival to festival and town to town. And this is the loot that he had on him and played with him and lived with and slept next to and probably died holding. And he acquired it. This is a real loot from the Middle Ages. He goes, oh, it's cursed, by the way. And I was like, what? <laughs> he goes, oh, it's cursed. And I said, cool, you didn't bother to tell me that as I was reaching up and touching the damn strings? He goes, oh, I don't believe in that nonsense. This has really happened. I'm telling you a real story here. <laughs> he goes, oh, I don't believe in any of that nonsense. And I was like, yeah, but still, man, come on. It's like common sense. You don't, you don't play with that kind of shit. What if it really is cursed? And it, it, what if the loot just likes you? I was like, great. Okay, that's awesome. So well, thanks for telling me, number one. Number two, how is it cursed? And he said, well, apparently, story goes that when this minstrel was about ready to shuffle off this mortal coil, he cursed his loot. Anybody who plays this loot, they're going to experience some extremely bad luck when they try to create their own, or play even, their own music. So it curses the music of the person who plays the lute. Whenever they play, you know, their own stuff on their own, it's supposed to <laughs> create bad luck for the fellow musician who had the audacity to play the lute. So I'm sitting there going, cool. Thanks for telling me. That's awesome. And he goes, ah, don't worry about it. I don't believe in any of that crap. So... <laughs> I'm a little perturbed at that point, but, you know, just a friendly perturbed, like I wasn't going to kick his ass or anything. And I was fascinated by it because he told me that this thing was from the Middle Ages, you know, a wandering minstrel. How romantic. And I look at this lute. I mean, it's 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 old, <laughs> extremely old, but it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful instrument and it sounded great. <laughs> if it wasn't cursed, I would have asked to put it on the freaking album. It was in tune. Sounded amazing. So, <laughs> I know he said he didn't believe in this nonsense, but I wonder if he does now. I can only tell you my experience because there are stories around Paducah, Kentucky, among the musician community, people who go to Earth Sound. They all know about the loot. I don't know if all of them, like me, had the uh, either balls, stupidity, or ignorance to have actually strummed the strings. But apparently... That was enough. We get the drums all set up. We get the drums dialed in. I play for a little bit. We're good. So he says, okay, come in the next day. We'll start recording. All right. Shuts off the drum room so no one trips over anything. <laughs> it's just me and him. So we leave. Go. I go back in the next morning. Dan is moving mics around. I was like, dude, we spent hours yesterday dialing this in. I hope you're not going to charge me for you know wanting to redo it. And he said, no, I don't do setup fees. So I was like, okay. 
Now, why are you dicking with the freaking mics, man? We had it. We had a killer, you know, we had a killer drum sound. Now you're dicking with it. He goes, well, I came in this morning and all the mics were on the floor. And he kind of gives me this. <laughs> I wish I could describe Dan's smile. Looks like a bratty kid. And I was like, okay, real funny. And he goes, no, I'm serious. Every, every one of the mics was moved. And I was like, okay, have you ever seen anything like this before? And he goes, no, no, other people have played the lute and some weird things like here and there have happened. He said, no one was in the studio last night, man. We didn't have any tremors. I know we're in an earthquake zone, but we didn't have any tremors. We didn't have nothing. Nobody was in that room. He's like, I wasn't even here. So he's like, this, this is pretty, this is pretty bizarre. And I could tell that he thought it was interesting, you know. He still had his cool, upbeat Dan attitude about it. But I could tell it, it kind of bothered him. It was wasting his time, you know, and he couldn't explain what it was. So we kind of made a joke about the loot. So we get the mic spec set up. That takes a day. We go back the next day. Mics are still in place. Okay, great. Wonderful. We start recording. We do, and he's playing it back as I'm doing certain sections of the drum parts that we're recording. Because we'll, if I make a mistake or if we need another take or whatever, he'll stop and, you know, listen to it. So I get the first track done. Or what we think is done. He goes, okay, via intercom, come into the control room. We'll uh, listen to this track and see what you think. All right. Now he's been pressing play every, you know, little mistake I made. Or, hey man, dial this in. He didn't hit the snare right. Or, hey, you missed a crash here. Go ahead and, you know, punch that in. Thankfully, we're in the area where you, in the era where you could punch things in and not have to redo the whole damn track. So we get, you know, like I said, we get that track done. Come into the control room. Okay. He presses play. And it wasn't just... I can only tell you my first-hand account here. I know we give first-hand accounts so much shit on the show, but I'm just telling you what happened. He hit play, and it was the most bizarre-sounding static I've ever heard. The old term, ghost in the machine... I don't know where that comes from, but I'm willing to bet whoever came up with that <laughs> saying worked in a recording studio because weird things happen in the studio all the time. You record something and you know it went there. And I mean, this happens to me on this podcast all the time. I do a podcast just for the patrons. It's called After Hours. Yeah. If you're a patron, you get your own freaking podcast, depending on the tier. And sometimes things just freaking go nuts. They go wacky. This is early 2000s. He's using a computer. I'm not using a fucking reel-to-reel -reel tape machine. So when you bring a computer in the mix, then things go haywire. But it was weird. It was a fucking... It was the craziest static I've ever heard. It sounded like the music was... It sounded like we reversed it, put it through an old tape machine, and then just played the tape until it was damn near wore out. It was weird. Dan's face goes white as a fucking sheet. He knows this gear. He uses it every day. It's how he earns a living, you know. He stops it. Man, that was that was weird, dude. And I said, yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's cool, Mr. Haunted Loot. Um, at this point, I didn't think he was screwing with me anymore. I saw the look on Dan's face. His face was white as a sheet. And he goes, oh, shit. Well, maybe this thing is cursed, man. We'll see. So he presses play again. And the song plays perfectly. Yeah. Song plays perfectly. 
We could not. We sat there for about an hour. He didn't. He said he wouldn't charge me for it, but he said, you know, just out of curiosity, I wonder if we can try to emulate just what the hell happened and maybe pin it down. I said, nothing happened. You just pressed play. That was it. You touched the space bar and that's what happened. Nothing. We, you can't emulate something that has no, you know what I mean? That had no external source to it. You just hit play. So we do the whole drum thing all the way through from the beginning of the album to the end. Nothing else bizarre happened while we were recording. But it was a very difficult time in my life. My marriage was going going south on me. We were having problems with our daughter on a emotional and mental level. We knew that something just wasn't quite right. And then, you know, that ended up being a thing later that confirmed. But things were just really difficult. And on top of that being struggling young parents, things were just not going well. The album ended up, I didn't even end up playing on the thing. (laughs) Because I was so stressed out by what was going on at home, it was starting to affect my performance. The band had to hire another drummer. But what's awesome is they used my recordings that I'd made as, you know, kind of the um, a foundation for what the studio drummer would end up playing. And he, used, he ended up using almost all <laughs> of my ideas that I did. I wasn't able to finish the record. I'm still credited as a producer on it, which is great. But me being a musician, I've recorded multiple solo albums since. And the first couple albums that I tried to record, these weird, bizarre things would happen. And it always seemed like whenever I was working on an album, just bizarre things would happen. I had one of my molars just shatter out of nowhere while I was trying to do a vocal track. Yeah, no, I'm not shitting you. Yeah, I drank Diet Coke for years on end. Maybe that, I'm I'm, uh, practically a chain smoker. I mean, that probably had something to do with it. But while you're doing a vocal track, and then personally, financially, everything's just going to complete shit. But as time went on, and I attributed it to the curse of the loot, you know, whenever something bad happened, (laughs) I attributed it to the curse of the loot. And weird studio things, you know, would happen here and there too. If this was a legitimate curse, then it seems to have run its course. If you look on my Spotify or look, I've done multiple albums, EPs. I've played on other band stuff. I play at my church. I do all kinds of stuff, multiple albums. And I got to say the past four releases, four or five, nothing has happened. And it kind of makes you think. It's pretty well known in this area among the music, you know, music community that there is a haunted loot at Earth Sound Studio. And for God's sake, do not play it. Dan apparently was convinced. Now he stops people from playing the damn thing. I think what happened that day kind of freaked him out. The mic thing and knowing he wasn't home, the ghost in the machine incident, and just personally what was going on in my life just seemed to pop out, pop up out of nowhere. But what I tried to tell Dan, did this have anything to do with me being a shitty husband? Did this have anything to do with me uh, not 
being serious with my practicing regimen as I am now, not being professional, not taking things with my craft all that seriously. Maybe spending more time in the studio than I should have been at home. You know, maybe it was just me being a shitty person. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it's all this crazy stuff rattling around on the walls. <laughs> Half of the things plugged into outlets I couldn't even identify. Shock therapy masks and shit. You know what I mean? Maybe that had something to do with it. Electrical interference. I mean, there is a concrete plant right next door. Who knows? And like I said in previous episodes, I've heard weird stuff come through on you record a mic track and you get some weird RF interference because of cheap ass cables. And you hear literally like I heard one time Howard Stern on the recording. Yeah, Howard Stern wasn't in the studio as far as I know, but I still heard his ass. It was cheap cabling, bad RF shielding, electromagnetic interference. That stuff happens. Weird stuff happens in studios. That's just how it goes. <laughs> you record an album, something weird is going to happen. Are albums cursed? Are studios cursed? No. It's just that taking an album, making an album takes such a long time to do. It's such a lengthy process. And what is the purpose of an album? Take it from an old school musician, okay? Jazz trained drummer, all right? The purpose of making an album is to capture your best performance possible the best performance that you can get out of that band to showcase this is what these guys can do at this point in time this is what they want to say this is the best they can play here right now that's the purpose of making a record any musician who says otherwise probably needs to go back to school and you try to capture the best performance this is a lengthy process albums take a long time to make is it just the law of averages again is it a dartboard thing <laughs> you know Given enough time, yeah, things are going to go to shit. You're going to get weird things happening. You have all of these electrical device, electronic devices that are running all in tandem at the same time. You have 18 microphones set up. It's pretty difficult to combat phase issues. Someone sneezes during a drum track and you can fucking hear it. You know, somebody flushes a toilet right when you're putting down the best guitar solo you've ever played. You're laying down a riff and you know you'll never play it as good again. And one of your friends you invited to the studio trips over the guitar chord. And this stuff happens. Is it something like that? Is this loot really cursed? Dan is convinced. Me, I've heard my stories. And the guys at the... Um, local music store, they have their stories, and they're pretty bizarre. But when they tell them, it's nothing outside of just weird shit that happens in the studio. That's not the first time someone has hit play and I heard weird, bizarre static. Everybody's lives go to shit. I mean, we have up and down moments, right? Life is never smooth sailing, at least for the normal people like us, the average Joe. Things are up for a while. You throw a ball up in the air, it comes back down. So what do you do? You catch a fucking ball and you throw it up. Hopefully, you can throw it higher this time to where it stays in the air longer. But it's still coming down. Life is ups and downs, man. It's a roller coaster. It takes a year to make an album. Months at the least. So yeah, with that amount of time that you're dealing with, you know, you're going to deal with things going up, going down, going to shit, getting better. I'll never forget that loot, though. I had an opportunity, like I said, out of my own ignorance, and in my defense, somebody not telling me what the hell this thing was, I had an opportunity to play 
a lute from the Middle Ages, an instrument that meant everything to somebody, an instrument that a guy loved, uh, as, as the story goes, an instrument that a guy loved enough to place a curse on. And if this curse is real, I can't prove that it's not. I just can't. <laughs> I can't. There's always an explanation. Always. And it always comes pretty quick when you're in the recording studio. There's always an explanation as to what caused this hiccup or what caused this and that. I can't explain all the drum mics being knocked down. I can't explain that static that I've heard. Uh, there's no source for it. It could be because we didn't research it enough. We didn't really have enough time to look over every cable and check every connection and all that could have been that. I've seen bits of dirt in mixing consoles on those little dials, you know, the little knobs. That'll uh, Dirt in those knobs will cause all kinds of crazy shit. A cable going bad? Oh my God, I'll wreak havoc on a recording. All kinds of stuff can go wrong. But I can't prove that, you know, this thing is not cursed. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't check every connection, you know, we had to move it along. I can't prove that it's cursed either because of the things that I just explained. These are normal things that happen. And if this was a curse, it seems to have run its course. I've made albums since and nothing has gone wrong. Let me knock on some wood here. There you go. <laughs> knock on my desk. <laughs> but see, that's the funny thing about a supposedly cursed objects. I'm almost convinced that this thing is not real. Still knocked on wood, though, didn't I? That's the thing with cursed objects. I'm not going to play with that. Be smart, you know. If someone says something is cursed, don't fucking touch it. Walk away. Because if this thing is, then I want to thank whoever this unnamed man is. Thanks for letting me play your loot. And if the curse is real, thanks for forgiving me my transgression. Your instrument is beautiful. It sounds lovely. And if you were pissed at me for a while, I'm glad you're not now. <laughs> or uh, maybe it's power is starting to wane. Like I said, you throw a ball up in the air, eventually it's coming back down. We've established on this podcast that curses are real. Do curses run out of steam? Some people say so. You look at things like the Superman curse, the Madden cover curse, the Sports Illustrated cover curse, all that stuff. Eventually, these curses seem like they kind of do run out of steam a little bit. Does that mean they're not real? Does that mean there's an energy that becomes tapped after a while? Who knows? The loot of Earth Sound Studio in Paducah, Kentucky does merit some further study. But let me tell you something. I'm not going to touch it again. I don't believe in tempting fate. I don't screw with things like that. I think, see, this leads into something else that I want to, you know, tell you really, really quick. So we're at our time. Like I said, uh, members of bands, you're more than friends. You're more than brothers. And my band is part of a club that no band wants to be in. We lost one of ours. And I can, I can sympathize with Metallica losing Cliff Burton, with Led Zeppelin losing John Bonham, with The Who losing Keith Moon. I know what that feels like. I do. And it's a horrible thing because you're so much more than 
friends. You're so much more than bandmates. You're more than family. When you lose a member like that, it's just, it's horrible. And it was through that experience that I am convinced that a, that people have a certain energy to them. And I think a portion of that energy sticks around after they're gone. I think that a deep love, a deep affection, a deep hate, hatred, we've established that curses are real. I think what creates them, I'm convinced what creates them, is a deep-seated, very, very strong feeling. Either it be love, hatred, sadness, regret. If they leave with some kind of intense, really strong emotion attached to something, I think that's what creates a curse. With that said, if your loot is cursed, sir, thanks for forgiving me for it. Or for just <laughs> not allowing the curse to uh, take a major toll on me. Either if it's you know running out of energy and you wish it had taken me out or <laughs> whatever, I appreciate it not sticking now. I'm not going to go back, tempt fate, and study the thing again. Because you don't screw with that kind of stuff. The haunted loot of Earth Sound Studio does merit some further study, but you're not going to see that further study coming out of me. I know better. <laughs> I just, I know better. It's a Ouija board. I don't, I'm not going to touch it, whether it's cursed or not. If somebody says that something's cursed, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, you may be allergic to this uh, shrimp here. Do you, uh, you want to eat a shrimp after that? Even if you're not allergic to it, if someone hands you a shrimp and says, this might make your face blow up. You're going to eat it? <laughs> Nobody in their right mind, I think, would want to fuck with something like that. I hand you a lament configuration and say, this might be a prop or this might be real. I, I heard it was cursed. Are you going to fucking touch it? No. Nobody in their right mind would anyway. So if you're in the area and Earth Sound Studio is open, ask about the loot. See if Dan or Zach is around and see if they have any stories. Because mine is just one of many. So, <laughs> check it out. And make sure to go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things strange places related. All the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account, where you can get everything from bonus episodes, ad-free bonus episodes, uh, giveaways of certain tiers, all kinds of stuff, and your own freaking podcast at certain tiers. Giveaways, free art, uh, I do all kinds of crap. Check it out. If you're kind of the person, if you're the kind of person that likes to go directly there, it's just patreon.com slash asylum817. And yeah, shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Conkle Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson, including our two new patrons that just signed up. You guys rule the show wouldn't exist without you. Thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next time, all right? More of a personal story, but uh, paranormal nonetheless. So I'll catch you guys later. Are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town, even mine, has a strange place, and maybe one day, we'll visit yours. Strange Places podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a music label for truly independent artists. 
They will distribute and share your music on every streaming platform the internet has to offer. And the best part is that you keep all of your royalties. In fact, DistroKid has made history, marking the first time that an artist on the charts made 100% of their earnings. This is the music industry's worst nightmare, giving indie artists complete control over their art. For only 20 bucks a year, you can upload unlimited music, and with the split feature, you can split a percentage of the earnings to your bandmates. If you click the affiliate link in this episode's description, you get 7% off the first year. But did I mention that after that, it's only 20 bucks a freaking year? I've been a musician for a long time. My music is heard all over the world, and yours should be too. Click the link in this episode's description to not only support Strange Places, but put control of your own music back into your hands. No contracts, no hidden clauses, no lovely coin men and their lovely, lovely suits. Thanks to DistroKid for being a sponsor and giving this old dog an audience.